We have, uh, as Kathy prayed, we have been looking at the ninefold fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. And since this is the closeout message on that ninefold fruit, let's go back to verse 16 and read down through verse 23 one last time, okay? Paul says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. I want to ask you, is your life out of control or is it under control? I read about a woman who had damaged her car and in order to collect insurance payments from it, she had to write a report as to what happened. Uh, she wrote, she said, I was backing my car out of the garage and lost sight of the driveway and drove into the yard. I went across the yard and through the row of hedges. Then I drove over the trash cans and knocked down the mailbox. I went over the curb and sideswiped my neighbor's car. And then I lost control of the automobile. <laughs> Isn't it interesting how when we look at the list of the fruit of the Spirit, where did it begin? It began with love and it ends with self-control. None of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit mean anything without love. And we're certainly not going to be able to live out any of them without what? Self-control. Now, let me summarize one last time some of the things I said in the very first message as we were looking at the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is like the profile of the believer. And we're not talking about the baptism of the Spirit. Nowhere in the Word of God are we commanded to be baptized in the Spirit. That's something God does at the moment of our conversion. And Paul says in Ephesians 1.13 that at the time of our con conversion, God baptizes us with His Spirit and seals us. It's a mark of sonship. Jesus even said, no one can come to me unless my Father's Spirit draws him. But you know, there are plenty of commands in the Scripture to walk in the Spirit and to be filled with the Spirit. 
We're not talking about the fruits of the Spirit either, as though we're talking about nine separate things. We're talking about the ninefold fruit of the Spirit. Okay? So this is not some kind of cafeteria-style thing where you say, you know, I'll take love and joy and peace, but you take kindness. <laughs> and you take gentleness. And, you know, it's the ninefold fruit of the Spirit. There's one fruit of the Spirit with nine different aspects to it. Kind of think of holding up a diamond, a brilliant diamond up to the light and turning it and, and seeing how it sends out light in a different way. One diamond, but the way it radiates because of the different cuts of the diamond. Well, tonight we look at self-control. Self-control is the relentless pursuit of the Christian disciplines becoming a reality in your life. Self-control says, I'm going to let God design me and have His will. I'm going to let Him uh, mold me daily more and more into His image, no matter how painful it may be at times, no matter what kind of adjustments I might have to end up making. Self-control or temperance says. Some translations may say is the ability to be in control when everything else seems out of control. It's the ability to keep your head when others are losing theirs. Now, in speaking of self-control, we're not talking about willpower or human effort. And that's critical to understand too. Because again, none of these things we have been looking at are the result of human effort. As we walk in the Spirit, He produces within us the fruit of the Spirit. You know, I told you from the get-go, it's not that we go out and pursue each one of these items. We, we pursue Christ. We walk in the Spirit. We abide in Him and let His love and His grace abide in us and His Word abide in us. And He produces the fruit of the Spirit. Now, not all Christians display the fruit of the Spirit. Why? Because not all are walking in the Spirit. Exactly. When we walk by the Spirit and are led by the Spirit, we produce the fruit of the Spirit. I want you to see, first of all, on your page tonight, the need for self-control. F.W. Borm, a great Australian preacher, once said, we make our decisions and then our decisions turn around and make us. And how true that is. Proverbs 25, 28 speaks to the importance of self-control. That proverb says, like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. Now that verse describes what? It describes living a life without, without boundaries, without walls. And if that's how you live, if you live without any self-control, any restraint whatsoever, if the culture has you, if it dictates everything about you, if materialism and humanism kind of dictates you, the, the philosophies of the day, then you know what? Essentially, you've just become 
Satan's toys, his plaything. Now, in thinking about the need of, of self-control, think about all the choices that we have today, even on, a, even on a basic level and very innocent level. Choices abound today, don't they? Perhaps you grew up in a community, anybody grew, grew up in a community maybe decades ago where you had one store in the community? One gas station? One store? You relate to that? Maybe there was one road leading into your town. It was a dirt road. Maybe there was no such thing as going out to eat anywhere. Maybe you remember only having two or three stations on your television, right? An antenna. And maybe to get one of those stations, you'd have to send one of your kids over and hold the rabbit ears just a certain way and angle them to get that one station. If you had a TV. If you even had, had a TV, exactly. But today, think of, think of all the choices out there, the endless choices. I mean, just endless when you think about it. Some of them good, some of them bad. One click on the internet can bring you to a site where there's all kinds of stuff you can order for the living of your household. Good things, things that help. Paying bills online, saving time, all that. Another click of the internet could bring you to things that would be very, very destructive. So many choices. And so choices, regardless of how innocent or not they may be, they demand what? They demand self-control. We live in a society that's out of control. Bankruptcies today are at an all-time high. I read that the debt that Americans have on their credit cards is more than the entire domestic product of Thailand. Just our Americans' credit card debt. According to some statistics by, by one famous pastor in the country in one of his books, and I'm sure since he's written that book, these have fluctuated some. We eat 75 acres of pizza every single day in this country. <laughs> We, we eat 53 million hot dogs, 3 million gallons of ice cream, 3,000 tons of candy, 524 million servings of Coca-Cola, and 2,739,726 donuts. Who adds all this stuff? <laughs> you what? Look at the population. How do you look? You read all that, like <laughs> we spend ten million dollars, ten million four hundred and ten thousand nine hundred and fifty-nine dollars a day on potato chips. And yet, and yet, a hundred and one million two hundred eighty thousand adults are on diets. <laughs> A California pathologist, Thomas Basier, says that on the basis of autopsies he performs, two out of every three deaths now 
are premature. He says they are related to what he calls loafer's heart, smoker's lung, and drinker's liver. Our highways have become rage ways. Schools are danger zones. Pornography is a multi, 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 multi-billion dollar industry. We are a society, we are a culture that knows very little about self-control. So either you control yourself or yourself will control you. Verses 19 to 21 tell about the kind of life without self-control. And we call those what? Deeds of the flesh. Just glance back at those deeds of the flesh again, verses 19 and following. That's an ugly list of vices. You know what? We've got to realize that we're more than physical. We're not to live at the physical level alone. Yes, we live on the physical in one aspect because God's given us a body, a physical body. But life is more than just serving the appetites of the body. Well, let's look secondly at the nature of self-control. Self-control, not fear, has been given us by God. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power and love and discipline or self-control. Stuart Briscoe once said, Self-control means that I say no to all that God forbids, and I say yes to all that God ordains. And that's hard, isn't it? How can it be done? Well, as I've mentioned to you, and looking at one word in these verses, we bring in what other passages have to say about this one word. So take your Bibles and turn with me back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Begin reading with me at verse 12. Paul says there, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will do away with both of them. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. God raised us up God raised up the Lord, rather, and will also raise us up by His power. Don't you know that your bodies are part of Christ's body? So should I take a part of Christ's body and make it part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one with her? For Scripture says the two will become one flesh. But anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with Him. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You're not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. Paul's speaking there of 
some, some, we could reduce it down talking about some principles. The first one being the profitability principle. The profitability principle. What's he say? Everything's permissible for me, but not everything would be what? Beneficial. Are you conducting yourself in ways that are beneficial? Beneficial to even your body. How about, secondly, the mastery principle? The mastery principle. And you know, a perfect illustration of this Paul gives in 2 Timothy 2 when he talks about both the soldier and the athlete. What's the soldier do? He, he doesn't get involved in the cares of other civilians. But his aim is what? To please his commanding officer. And the athlete does what? The athlete doesn't let things go physically the way other people might, but he or she disciplines their body in diet and exercise so that they might win the prize. And Paul is saying to Timothy there, just like the soldier has it his passion not to become entangled in affairs of the world, but to please his commanding officer. We're to please our commanding officer. We're to be soldiers of the cross. Just like an athlete runs a race to run a, 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 a prize that might have back then just been a, a wreath made out of some kind of leaves that would perish. We are to discipline our lives because there's a heavenly reward. So the mastery principle. And, and then, the, thirdly, we could talk about the eternity principle. Life is not simply about the here and now. And it's not just about living on the physical level, uh, satisfying only physical appetites. That's how animals live. But God created us in His image. Do we have physical appetites? Of course we do. The Bible never denies those. But when you think about the, the appetites God has wired into the body, he's given a proper outlet for each one of those to be expressed and satisfied. But what's Satan do? Satan comes along and says, what? Ignore God's boundaries and do whatever you want. And Satan tells us to live for the here and now, live for the temple instead of seeking first the kingdom of God. Doesn't matter who you hurt. Doesn't matter the consequences. Just live for your desires. That's what the enemy does. You know, if it feels good, do it. But again, we're, we need to realize we're not just physical beings. When God created us, he built he breathed a living soul in us. We were created for fellowship with God and communion with God. God created us not simply for time alone, but for eternity. And so we need to ask ourselves in this area of self-control, how am I disciplining my body? For, for just calendar days or in light of eternity? A fourth principle would be the temple principle. Remember, whatever you're doing, you are doing in the very presence of God because He dwells in you. God does. 
from the moment of your conversion. You have the Holy Spirit. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. And then a big one today, people don't want to hear this word I'm about to mention, the death principle. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said, no one can come after me and be my disciple unless he denies himself, picks up his cross, and follows after me. What was a cross? An instrument of death. A Christian writer named S.D. Gordon once said, in every man's life there is a throne. When self is on that throne, Christ is on the cross. But when Christ is on the throne, self is on the cross. We're to die daily. Someone once asked George Mueller what the secret was to his great life. He said there was a day when George Mueller died. He died to his ambitions, goals, wants, and desires and decided once and for all that Christ was his life and his life totally belongs to him. Have you died to self? Jesus said you and I must if we're going to follow after him and be his disciple. Deny self and die to self. But what results? Is it some kind of bondage? No, it's freedom. It's perfect freedom. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. See, this is a principle that the world doesn't understand. Dying to self, denying self, that doesn't sound enjoyable. But when we're following Christ, that's the way to freedom and liberty and abundant joy. A.W. Tozer said, Self is one of the toughest plants that grows in the garden of life. It is, in fact, indestructible by any human means. Just when we are sure it is dead, it turns up somewhere as robust as ever to trouble our peace and poison the fruit of our lives. The victorious Christian neither exalts nor downgrades himself. His interests have shifted from self to Christ. What he is or is not no longer concerns him. He believes that he has been crucified with Christ and he's not willing either to praise or deprecate such a man. Like John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. Then there's the love principle. Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus said to them, "You shall." when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment of all? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The second commandment like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Remember one of Homer's mythologies? Uh, it illustrates the way to, to deal with self-control as it as it refers to temptation, he tells the story of an island, uh, sirens, inhabited by beautiful, seductive women. Remember that story? They lure men to their island by their beautiful singing. Their singing puts sailors into a trance 
and draws them in, but they are actually luring them to their own destruction. Cersei tells Odysseus to not allow that to happen to himself. She says that, that though their singing is sweet and alluring, they sit in the meadow with a pile of the bones and the flesh of men that they've devoured. Odysseus, knowing that he was sailing past this island with his crew, what did he do? You remember what he did? He plugged the ears of his sailors with wax and tied himself to the ship's mast. And he said to his men, no matter how much I beg to be set free to go to their singing, do not untie me. In fact, tie me with even more cords. They passed by the island of Cyrene's. The singing was so beautiful. And they were calling out to Odysseus. He begs and begs his men to untie him. And they only tie him tiger. They pass safely by and they then remove the wax from their ears. But on the other hand, Jason has devised a better way. Do you remember what that better way was? He carried on board ship with him the sweet singer uh, Orpheus. And as they neared the island and his seduct seductive singers began to sing, he had Orpheus begin to play the lyre and sing a far more beautiful song which captured the interest of the sailors as they passed. Two different aspects of how people carry out self-control there, right? Some people try to live out self-control by a code of rigid external laws that restrain them. And they always live with this but others are so attuned to Christ that love for Christ is far sweeter than any songs of the world could ever be. There's a difference, right? Well, let's look thoroughly at the areas for self-control. The areas. First of all, the mind. How in the world can you control your mind? People talk about focusing on the negative or bad things. You know, Paul in Philippians 4 8 says these words. You want to write this verse down and maybe even memorize it. Paul says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. The mind will tend to dwell on something, right? Let it dwell on good things. Then the tongue. The Bible says that this is the most unruly member that we have. I remember in a sermon probably decades ago now, Jerry Vines, who used to be at First Baptist of uh, Jacksonville, Florida, they run about 10,000 every Sunday morning. 
He said, the tongue is the meanest member we have. <laughs> the tongue's the meanest church member we have. What's the answer? Do like King David did. Psalm 141.3 Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. You think more of us need to pray that in the morning as part of a morning devotion? Lord, set a guard over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. I remember the story I told you some years ago about a lady who biggest gossip and slander and busybody in the church just had no restraint over her tongue and she just ripped everybody in the church apart. And one Sunday in the pastor's sermon, God really convicted her about this. And she went far and said, Pastor, I need to lay my tongue on the altar and consecrate it to God. He said, well, lady, our altar's only 12 feet long, but give it your best shot. <laughs> uh, another area for self-control, anger. Some people today, it seems like more and more today, people are controlled by anger. And they blow off the handle at anything. And you know what? Anger can lead people to do things that they might end up regretting for the rest of their life. So if that's a problem you have, that ought to be an area of daily prayer. Let the Holy Spirit do His work there. A man was seen pushing a baby carriage with a child in it who the child was pitching a fit. And the calm man kept saying over and over and over again, Easy, Albert. Be calm. Control yourself. Easy, Albert. Easy, Albert. A lady was witnessing all this, and the story came over to him and said, Sir, I am so impressed by the way you're, you're talking so kindly to your son, Albert. He said, Lady, his name is Johnny. I'm Albert. <laughs> Be angry, but without sin, the Bible says. We ought to be angry at what makes God angry and love what He loves. Then another area of, for self-control, sexual desires. Paul said to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4, Do not even let immorality be named even once among you as is fitting for saints. Paul said to the Corinthians, I wish you were more like me. Paul was single. But he realized that's not the gift that most people have. But what did he say to control immorality? Let each wife have her own husband and each husband his own wife. God created us male and female and designed us for intimacy within marriage. And Paul says that's where it's holy and, and blessed. And then lastly, I want to talk to you about the motive for self-control. Exercise self-control with the motive being to glorify God. 
You see, self-control is not just an end in and of itself. It's to be exercised for the sake of your witness. It's to be exercised for the sake of the glory of God. Our self-control is one way we can adorn the gospel. The Bible talks about adorning the gospel. Exercise self-control also with the motive being your personal growth. Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy that he was to flee youthful lusts that wage war against the soul. Lust comes in many varieties too. We can lust after what somebody else has. We can lust after their reputation, their wealth, their position in life. Or we can lust in the traditional way of thinking about it, the physical. Paul said live, uh, that living a life of lust instead of self-control does what? It wages war against our soul. It doesn't help us grow. It sets us back. If you want to grow, you've got to allow the Holy Spirit to cultivate this fruit of the Spirit of self-control in you. Your growth is at stake, as well as the glory of God. And then also exercise self-control with your eye on the rewards. The Bible makes no apology for the fact that there is coming a day of reward. And that the reward goes to the faithful. Somebody says, but do you think we ought to think of the heavenly rewards? Well, the Bible certainly talks about them. It talks about the loss of rewards and the multiplication of rewards. So I just want to ask you to evaluate your own heart tonight. Are you living a life of self-control. Remember, it's a work of the Holy Spirit within you. Seeking the Lord, abiding in Christ, walking in the Spirit, this is something that God grows and cultivates within you. And you know what? It's something that the Holy Spirit wants to perfect in us. Because again, if we're not living with self-control, we're bringing... We're bringing shame, probably, to the name of Christ. And that must grieve the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, I would say identify areas where you have trouble and ask for God's help. Do you think when you pray for God's help in this area of self-control that that's praying according to the will of God? Yes. You know, the Bible says one of the reasons our prayers may not be being answered is because we're asking for things that are not in the will of God. But when we ask for self-control, that we can properly adorn the gospel, that must be pleasing to the Lord. And He's all too happy to help us. Well, that sort of brings to a conclusion looking at the fruit of the Spirit. Any comments? Maybe not just about this one. Some of the previous. Hey. Just uh, what you were saying about, I was saying, uh, what you were saying in the beginning, it says the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. So I'm thinking, well, I'm thinking 
that if you blow it in any one of those fruits, that the whole the whole bunch looks bad in the world's eyes, and because we live in a glass house. Yeah, that's you know, true. They, Good point. That's what they make a judgment. You know? Sure. But, one area can affect the other areas. Yeah, yeah. Certainly. And you know the world is just, the world's waiting on Christians to mess up, isn't it? Just waiting on us to. you will know them by what? Their fruit. A professing Christian who consistently their life shows no fruit, they need to examine their hearts whether or not they're really in the Lord or not. But can Christians lose their focus and, and stumble in all these areas? Certainly, they need work. Uh, but I think a believer, when you look at the overall course of your life, the, the big picture of your life, you should see fruit. And if you don't, there should be concern. Concern, at least, that you would examine whether you're in the faith or not. I don't know if that answers your question sufficiently. Okay. Ultimately, that's a matter for God to judge. Uh, you know, He has the final word on that. But again, I think if the pattern of your life, the overall pattern shows no fruit, calls for concern. A believer ought to be able to look at the pattern of their life and at least see some fruit. We had a study, I think, when Connie led, and if you have love, the rest of them are easier to do. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and do you remember probably the first lesson we looked at on the fruit of the Spirit when we were looking at love? Some interpreters actually interpret the other eight as outgrowths of love. That's, that's one of the primary ways this passage is like that. I know it accented on if you have love the beginning and have self-control. Those things in the middle won't be that hard to do. Right. Yeah. So they like bookends, aren't they? Yeah. That's love for God. Right? Yeah. Or for yes. the second commandment, love thy neighbor. You know, so that's the kind of love you're supposed to have. But the love for God certainly should drive it all. Yes. What words of encouragement would you give for someone that's, say, failed in one or more areas? And all the speaks about no 
those that have made a shipwreck of their faith. Mm -hmm. I mean, they had a faith, but apparently something went wrong or south in their life, maybe, or sure. what do you call something? Well, there's one word that we don't hear enough of in the church today. What is that one word that starts with an R? It's repentance. Repentance. <laughs> repentance. Some people think when they're saved, they kind of wipe that slate clean, and they're good from there on, you know. They don't realize they need to examine their life every single day. You also have Christians that will beat themselves up, I think, probably to where they're taking themselves out of the race. Right. You know, and that's the sad. And you know, that's a problem, too, because they need to stop and realize with repentance, if God forgives me, I've got to forgive myself. You know, somebody who thinks God will forgive me, but I can't forgive myself, that's arrogance. I mean, God can forgive you, but you can't forgive yourself. And you know that you're a judgment above God. Sure. The situation is that the way I'm seeing it is correct. I'm being messed up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 